Hey, grab your Bibles, turn to Acts, the book of Acts in the New Testament. Uh, it's right after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts chapter 4. And uh, while you're looking for that, let me just kind of set up what we're going to talk about here today. Our hero this week appears multiple times in the book of Acts. So what we're going to have to do is kind of move around. So once we read out of chapter 4, then we're going to move on. So just keep your your Bibles open to Acts, and I'll kind of guide you through that. Uh, But this is a, a major player. As a matter of fact, as I have studied this person this week, I've really come to the realization that he is a far bigger contributor to the early church than maybe most of us, definitely more than I ever realized. Part of the reason for that is he seems like a background character. He seems like somebody that we hear mentioned, but he doesn't seem to ever really be in the spotlight. He's never the central character. Interestingly enough, I would say never the central character kind of seems to be his story. And I think that's the way he wanted it. I just think it's the way he was wired, that he saw himself as somebody who comes alongside others and helps them to reach their redemptive potential and never worried about whether or not he was in the spotlight or he was the, the center of attention. But as you really read through Acts and study through Acts, you start to realize he really was an integral part of the early church and making the early church happen. I think his heroism is found in the the very fact that he is a person who just came alongside others and helped them to be who God was calling to be. Again, we're going to move through a few different chapters in Acts, so just keep your Bibles open in Acts, and I will help you to to navigate that. But we're going to start in verse 32 of chapter 4, and we're going to read through verse 37. Acts 4 Verse 32 through 37, it says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were given their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Verse 34. There was not a needy person among them, for as many were owners of lands or houses, they sold them and brought the proceeds that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as they had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Let me pray for us. Lord, I just pray in these next couple minutes uh, that you would help us uh, to sink into our hero today and sink into his life and to learn from him. I pray that you would use your word to plant truth in our hearts that would bear fruit. I pray that we would leave different than we came because we've sat in the presence of the living God. I thank you for grace. I thank you for these people Uh, that we get to uh, do life with and minister with. And I just pray that you would continue to bless us and pour out your favor on this corner. In Jesus' name, amen. So you've probably figured it out, but our hero is this gentleman named Joseph. Joseph, not the husband of Mary, Joseph. Joseph, not the guy that gave up his his tomb so so that Jesus could have a place of burial. Not that Joseph. But this is the Joseph that, that we see in this passage. And and as was common in the ancient world, Joseph's name is changed. The, the, the apostles change his name to Barnabas. Very much a common practice in that day. And when a name was changed, it was changed to solidify, if you will, or reinforce 
something about that person, most often something positive about that person. Sometimes you would see a name change that wasn't all that positive, but, but in most cases it was a common characteristic, a trait, a, a way that a person uh, normally interacted or behaved, and that would become what they were known for. In this case, they changed his name to, to Barnabas, but it's not actually Barnabas, it's bar Nabi is what it would have actually been, Barnabi, and, and we just pronounce it in, a, in an English sort of way, the translation of Barnabas. Now, just as a little bit of a side note, I don't know if you realize this, but when we read names in the New Testament and in the Old Testament, actually, we're reading English translations of their names. And I kind of wish we didn't do it because I think the original names are so much more poetic. So Mark would be Marcos and Luke would be Lucas and John, Yochanan, and Peter would be Simon Cephas. James is Yaakov, Judah, Yehuda. There's just something really beautiful about that. But, but just to make it easier for us as we read, we have these English translations of name. And Barnabas is just the English way of saying Barnabi. So Joseph or Yosef, is a generous, encouraging man, so they change his name. And what his name really means is Bar, which means son of, or if he was a woman, it would mean daughter of. It's not a, a gender-specific moniker. So Bar just means daughter of, or gender, or, or son of, or daughter of. And Nabi means generous, encourager, and exhorter. And if you're wondering what does exhorter mean, another way of saying exhorter might be preacher, might be teacher, but it's someone who calls something out of other people. Somebody who can, can give a word to people that helps them to be who God has called them to be. So this is kind of what he is known for. He is a generous encourager and an exhorter. Right? So bar son of is this common prefix. As a matter of fact, it's a prefix that you've heard more than you probably even realize. So you remember Bartholomew? He's one of the, the uh, apostles. Bartholomew means son of a furrow, which I think is kind of funny. Furrow is like a, a plowing term, a farming term. I don't know if he got that name because he came from a farm, but I began to think this week maybe they started to call him that because he was a guy that could break up hard ground, that he was one of those guys. You know those people who can, can deal with somebody who's, who's hard of heart, who's difficult, and they just have a way of, of softening them, of helping them to disarming somebody. So maybe that was Bartholomew's kind of characteristic. He was the one that would always help the outsider to feel like they could come in. He would soften their heart. So maybe they just started calling him Bartholomew. Or maybe a different bar that you remember is Barabbas. You guys remember Barabbas? The story of Barabbas, Jesus at his crucifixion at the trial. There's two people, Jesus and Barabbas, and they, one is going to be set free. This is, you remember this story, right? This is the Easter story. Well, here's the irony. Barabbas means son of Abba. Now, isn't that ironic? The two men that were standing there, one's name was son of Abba, but one was actually son of Abba. You know, I don't, I don't think that's coincidence. I think that there was some sort of poetic words that was being spoken in that. But so it helps us when we begin to realize, when we read those names, and you can do your own Google search and figure out what that is. But whenever you see a name that's Bar, B-A-R, something, it's son of or daughter of something. And this is a great place for us to stop for a moment and just ask the question, what would your name be? Son of, daughter of, it's funny, when I, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking, uh, it depends on the week, <laughs> right? I, I, if, if it's the week of my naming ceremony, I hope that I've been uh, in a good place. Otherwise, my name might not be as 
uh, positive as I would want it to be. What would your name be if you were invited to the renaming ceremony? Well, our hero today is Barnabas, Barnabi, Nabi, encourager, generosity, exhorter. And at first glance, I think these words seem very different. Uh, but if you stop and you think about these three words together, it really begins to paint a picture of someone who really comes alongside other people, right? They, they actually do fit together in a, in a pretty powerful way. They're different words and they have different nuances, but they, they paint a full picture of, of who this guy is. As a matter of fact, these are the words that would describe a great coach, Right? Someone who calls great things out of people. Someone, it would be, these would be words that would describe a, a great mentor. These are words that would describe, would describe a loyal friend. And we see these passages beginning in Acts, right? So Barnabas is a man of wealth. We kind of know that even from just church history and from all the other places that we see him show up. We know that he's the cousin of Mark, you know, the, the gospel writer Mark. And we know that Mark was also came from a family of wealth just through church history and reading. And so, so he's a man of wealth. He's a man of, of influence. And he sells a piece of property and he lays it at the apostles' feet. Now, we can see from Acts that this isn't an uncommon practice. It's something that's happening in the early church. But I would say it's, if any of you decided to sell a piece of property and give the money to the church, it would be an incredibly generous thing to do. I think in the early ancient world, it was even more risky. They didn't have bank accounts, they didn't have, and, and social status was different, but owning land was a, was a huge deal, and it's how people survived family to family. We're talking about much more agrarian society, so, so everything about land is different. Now, I'm not saying it's, it's just, I just think it was hot, much more risky. So we just want to sink into that a little bit and realize that it, was a, that it was a big deal. But what I want you to think about is imagine the impact on the apostles, so they're starting the church, and we know from Acts that, that the church is just blowing up in incredible ways. 3,000 people were added to their numbers. 5,000 people were added to their numbers. I mean, this is mega church beyond mega church, and nobody has like any magazines to read or, or web searches to figure out how to do mega church. These guys are just trying to figure out how are we going to manage all of these people who are coming to Jesus? How are we even going to meet with them? How are we going to support them? How are we going to fill the needs? And suddenly people like Barnabas are selling land, and they're bringing the money, and so if you were an apostle, this had to be an incredible act of encouragement. People believe in what's going on. People are committed. People are, are giving in generous ways. So, so immediately you see this, this encouragement. Because he's willing to come alongside, because he's willing to help the apostles, you begin to see how encouragement is an integral part of who he is. The next time Barnabas shows up is in Acts chapter 9. Go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 9. While you're looking for that, let me give you a little context so it makes sense. You guys remember the guy named Saul? Saul was that guy who was persecuting the church. He was actually literally having Christians arrested and, and standing by as people were being stoned and orchestrating Christians being, being killed. He was notorious for persecuting the church. That's the Saul that we're talking about. But you remember Saul was riding on the donkey. Jesus comes in a bright light and, and appears to him. He gets knocked off his donkey and he has a conversion moment. Well, this is after that conversion moment, and he's, he's coming to Jerusalem, and he's showing up, and he's saying, dudes, I believe now. I don't think he used the word dudes, but it sounds good. So anyway, he shows up in Jerusalem, but the apostles, the church leaders, are like, I don't think so. 
I don't know if we can trust this guy. How do they know it's not just his way of infiltrating the, the troops and finding out who the Christians are so that he can have them arrested and have them stoned? Nobody wants to get stoned, so, so they're sort of holding back and, and they're afraid of him. And so that's the context of chapter nine, verse 26 and 27. It says, when they had come to Jerusalem, he, this is Saul, attempted to join the disciples. Dudes, I'm, I'm here. But they were afraid of him. They didn't believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas, Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Now, it's easy to read this and not realize what a critical moment this is in church history. Because if you know Paul, who's Saul, who becomes Paul, and you know the proliferation of his ministry, and you know, I mean, he's probably the most successful church planner in, in human history besides Jesus. He's actually the best church planner, but Paul is, is his, his ministry is so prolific, so powerful, but this is a critical moment, because if the apostles don't accept him, he's not going to have a dynamic ministry, so Barnabas stands up for him. Barnabas vouches for his character, and, and, and think about what an encouragement that must have been to Paul. Somebody had his back, right? Somebody believed in him when other people didn't believe him. Somebody came alongside and said, no, this dude's legit, man. He's really who he says he is, and you can trust him. Barnabas. Radical generosity, selling property and giving it away and, and, and emotionally coming alongside this brother in Christ. But wait, there's a little bit more. Turn to Acts chapter 11. While you're turning there, a little more context. So the Christians have, have been coming in, in numbers of thousands are coming to know Christ and it's almost entirely happening in Jerusalem. And, and so uh, suddenly persecution comes. And they are, Stephen has been, had been martyred and more and more Christians are being arrested. And so the Acts tells us that the church is scattered. All those thousands of believers now are basically fleeing from Jerusalem because they don't want to die. And because they, they, they're, they're, they're basically scattered, right? So they're heading to all of these other cities and, and other places, but they're taking their faith with them. They're going as missionaries. They're not formally charged as missionaries, but because they are strong believers, because they've had this experience with Jesus, just like all of us, they are witnesses of what they've experienced. And so they go to all these cities, and all of a sudden, the gospel is going forth, and Gentiles are becoming Christians, and the church is a little perplexed because most of the first believers were Jewish, and they don't know what to do with that. They don't know what to do with the fact that now we have Gentiles who are becoming believers, and we have this, this growth in the gospel that we really don't know what to do with. So that's kind of the context of, of what happens in Acts 11. So verse 22, the report came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, to the, to the church leadership. And so they sent Barnabas, Barnabi, to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them or he preached to them or he taught them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose I love this, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So not only did he go to the people who had become believers, but even more people were becoming believers. But I love the description of him. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. They sent him to preach, because that's who he was. He was Barnabas. He was an exhorter. He was a person who would, who would encourage others. But what I love is what happens in the next couple of verses. Barnabas has enough humility to understand that he cannot do 
what God has called him to do all alone. The task is too big. There are too many people. I need help. I need somebody to come alongside me. So look at verse 25. So Barnabas goes to Tarsus and looks for Saul, same guy that we were just talking about who becomes Paul. He hasn't changed his name yet. And when he had found him, he brought him back to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Barnabas sees the gifting in Paul. He sees that that Paul has a calling on his life to take the gospel to the Gentile nation. He goes and he brings Paul, and, and really this becomes a huge part of the launching pad of the ministry that is Paul's ministry or Saul's ministry. He's an encourager. He's a supporter. He's one who sees potential in others and calls them into it. But there's a little bit more. Final story I'm going to share from Acts gives us even more insight, and that's found in chapter 15. So turn to chapter 15. So at this point, Paul and Barnabas have been doing ministry together for really several years. They have been partners, maybe more so than we realize. We usually think of Paul as doing his ministry and having these little underlings who write a few things for him, maybe, you know, do his laundry. I don't know what what else they did, but that's the way it almost seems. But these guys were were partners. They were co-workers in the gospel. They were locking arm in arm, and, and they're doing ministry. But at this point in the story, Uh, they have a falling out. They're preparing to go on their next missionary journey, and Barnabas wants to bring along his cousin, Mark. But Paul says, no way. The last time we were on a missionary journey, Mark deserted us. He left us high and dry, is kind of what it says. And and it apparently was a discretion. It was an indiscretion on, on Mark's part. Apparently, it wasn't done well because Paul is still harboring some lack of trust in this guy, Mark, and he says, no way. And so, it's interesting. If you look at verse 39, it says, and there arose a sharp disagreement. They got a fight. Even two pillars of the faith have a disagreement, and, and they can't come to, to an agreement in this, and so they separated from each other. Barnabas He took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas, one of our unsung heroes from a couple weeks ago. And having been commanded to the brothers and grace of the Lord, he went through Syria and Cilicia and strengthened the church. Barnabas chooses to encourage the one who needs encouragement the most. If you know the story, if you know how this plays out, Mark becomes an integral part of the church as well. He ends up writing one of the Gospels. He actually ends up being one of Paul's most trusted partners later. But imagine if Barnabas had sided with Paul. I think what Barnabas was thinking is, look, Paul, you're going to be fine. You're going to be okay. You've come far enough. You don't really need me anymore. But Mark, he's broken, man. If we leave him like this, he may never be restored. Somebody's got to go. Somebody's got to care for. Somebody's got to speak truth to this young man. Somebody's got to help restore him to ministry. Somebody's got to come alongside him. I think he chooses Mark because he knows Mark needs him most. He chooses Mark because he's Barnabi. He's the son of encouragement, right? He knows who who needs to be helped. He knows who needs to be spoken to and and lifted up. It's a beautiful picture of of encouragement and and, and being generous. He was just living out his name. Now, it's fascinating. 
Barnabas in church history, some people think uh, that he's the writer of Hebrews. We have no idea if that's true. Some people say that, that Barnabas was part of those 72 that were sent out in, in, in Luke chapter 10. We don't know if that's true or not, but this is part of just what we get out of church history. But what we do know is he lived up to his name. He was truly Barnabas. He was generous, he was an encourager, and he was an exhorter. What makes him a hero is his commitment to walk faithfully with Jesus and pour into others. Part of his heroism is, I think, in the fact that he didn't worry about whether or not he got credit. Probably the, the, probably the most glamorous thing for him to do would be to stay with Paul. He says, it's okay, I'm going with Mark because Mark really needs me, right? It's a beautiful picture of humility and, and, and it's just, it's, it's awesome. But what I wanna do for the next few minutes uh, is just kind of go back to where I started. I want to ask you, what would your name be? You were invited to the naming ceremony today. What would be the best name? What would people call you? Maybe a good question for you to ask is, God, what do you want my name be? God, what is the word that you want to speak over me? I just want you to ask that. I want you to actually just maybe close your eyes if you need to and just listen. Maybe God will give you a word. I'm just gonna give you a minute to, to ask that question. God, what do you want my name to be? So I began late in the week praying for you uh, and asked the Lord to bring people to mind and I took the liberty of giving some of you a new name. Uh, I don't think these names have to stick. We don't have to start calling each other these names. Uh, but if you want to, uh, you can. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna uh, call some names, and when I call the name, uh, I'd like the person to come stand with me on the stage. And so the first person I'd like to come down is Melissa Gray. Mel Gray. Oh, there you are. That was not where I expected you to come from, but that's perfect. <laughs> no, nobody knows. So Mel, you are a prayer warrior. This is your card. You can hold it. And so, Baretio, uh, which means daughter of supplication. I love the way you pray. I love the way you have fostered prayer in our church. I love the way you have inspired people to be more about prayer. Uh, your heart for Jesus and prayers is a powerful thing, so right to you. So I'm going to ask you to stand right there with some other people. Tom Halpin. You're already up here once. You've got to come again. Sorry. I think if you don't mind, it's okay that you're already here. If you come up these steps, we'll have less trip hazards going on. Don't want to get sued later. So... Uh, you're fine. So Tom might be one of the most honest people I know. A man of integrity, uh, but he's going to tell you what truth is. He's going to tell you what he's thinking, and I love that about him. And so, you are a son of honesty. Thank you. <laughs> Lloyd, are you in the house, or are you still in the parking lot? Come on, baby. 
Why did I ask him if he's in the parking lot? Because Lloyd is always in the parking lot. <laughs> the Lloyd is probably one of the most servant-oriented people that I've ever met. Um, sometimes I see him out in the parking lot uh, in the mornings, Saturday evenings, Sunday mornings, picking up the trash, walking around, getting all those cones out, always listening to his music and always praying for you and all of his uh, fellow parking lot people. Uh, so you are Bardeconis, which means son of service. I love you, man. I'm gonna embarrass somebody because I'm gonna call their name and they're gonna be like, oh, they didn't go to church today. <laughs> Robert Tucker, I saw you somewhere. Are you in, this, in the room? Robert, Robert? He's here, I know, I saw him earlier. In the cafe. All right, well, make your way here, Robert. We'll do you next. He's like, what? Cheryl Marshall, where are you at? You're usually over here. Miss Marshall, I know you don't want to come down here. You're the last person that wants to come on this day. There you are. Good in. You can be mad at me later. I'll get you next. You just stay right here. You didn't have to run. <laughs> so I know that you don't believe this about yourself, but you are one of the bravest people I know. You are. You. And you are a fighter, and you have fought for your faith. You are a daughter of warrior. Thank you. <laughs> All right, Robert, come on up this way. I don't want anybody to trip. If you were here, you'd know you weren't supposed to come up this way. <laughs> Anything for a cup of coffee. <laughs> you know, I'm teasing you. I love your heart of devotion. I love the way you walk with Jesus so faithfully. And so, you are a son of devotion. You can stand right there. Deja, are you in the house? I haven't seen Deja yet. Don't want to embarrass anybody. Deja Taylor, are you here? All right, well, all of you should email her. No, I'm just kidding. Please don't. <laughs> Billy Kidd. Billy, Billy. I think you are one of the bravest people I know. I think the way you've walked faithfully with Jesus through all the things that you've walked through, the way you've held on to your faith, the way you lead your family, you are Bartheros, son of courage. <laughs> Uh-oh. Donzel was here. Oh, come on with the cafe, people. <laughs> All right. He can hear me. He can hear me. Come on back, Donzel. You're next. Oh, yeah. Come on up. So, for those of you who don't know, uh, Roya is just about finished becoming an attorney, just finishing school. And that's a big deal. You have fought hard to, to do that. But what I love about you is your heart for people who are hurting, your heart for justice, your heart for the downtrodden, 
So you are daughter of justice. Paula, Paula Smith. I prayed for Paula and I asked God for a word for her. Uh, and I'll be honest with you, when he gave me the word, I was like, is that really the word? And the more I sat with it, the more I know it's definitely your word. Uh, you have been through a lot. And you have done it with grace and passion and the Lord has given you victory. You are daughter of victory. Yeah. I love you. Okay, let me know when Donzel gets back. <laughs> Laura Jackson. I'm waiting for somebody to say no. I ain't coming down there. So many of you probably don't know, but Laura has been through uh, hell. Uh, she's had some chronic health issues uh, that have been brutal. And you have. Stop. Don't cry. It makes me cry. I love you. But she has fought so well. Um, and I know it's probably not the word that you give to yourself, but it is clearly the word that we would. You are a daughter of strength. Uh, I'm going to do Tony and Martha together. Tony and Martha Simarusti. Will you come down? I've never seen two people more passionate uh, about seeing other people know Jesus and grow in Jesus. Uh, I could have uh, made you daughter and son of hospitality would have worked. I could have given you lots of names, but uh, for both of you, it's discipleship. You live, breathe, and think discipleship. And we are blessed to have you. Thank you. Right out of room. Slide down a little. Donzelves in the house, everybody. So if you uh, have ever had a chance to watch Dunzel on Facebook or sit when he is teaching or just had a conversation with him about Jesus and walking with Jesus, there is no more passionate person on the planet about faith in Jesus. So you are a son of passion. Penny Blum, are you in the house? I knew you'd come up this way because you're disobedient like that. That's what I get working with Penny for so long. I don't care what Doug said. Come on over here. There are hundreds of people who count on you, who look to you, uh, who lean into you, uh, me being one of them. And it's your wisdom that we all strive to take. So you are a daughter of wisdom. Bar Sophia. Isn't that pretty? Sophia. We can just call her Sophie. John Carter. John Carter. If you know John, you're going to know why I gave him this name. 
Uh, but no one is more uh, intentional about making sure they give me a hug every time they see me. And that's it. But I don't want you to take it lightly. Your hugs are not just an embrace. It's, it's, a, it's a sign of love and affection and care. And uh, we all appreciate it. So you are son of hugs. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Meg Kempton, I know you're in the house. Love you. This is my wife, by the way. So for all of you, like, why is he kissing that girl? Because I'm allowed to. Uh, when I prayed for the word for you, uh, what I kept thinking of is anchor, uh, but I couldn't find a Greek word for anchor. I'm sure it's out there. Uh, it's that strength. It's that grounding. Uh, you ground me. You anchor me, but you do it for so many people. You are daughter of stability or foundation. Love you. And John Jackson. So those of you who don't know, John is married to Laura. Uh, and, uh, and they have gone through what they've gone through together. Um, and it's been hard. And uh, some of that John has shared as he's led worship. Uh, but I've never seen anybody hold to their faith more strongly, grow in the midst of pain and suffering uh, more exponentially. Uh, he is the most faithful person I know, so you are the son of faithfulness. All right. Those people weren't here, and we don't want to embarrass them. Oh, I don't have my phone with me. Somebody got a phone? I got to take a picture. Somebody jump up and take a picture and send it to me. Say, this is the body of Christ, isn't it? This is what, what God does, how he wires us differently. Thank you. You want a picture? He's got a 37-digit passcode. Okay. Well, I need one. Oh, it's too old for that. Smile pretty, everybody. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you. You can, you can take your card with you if you want. Love you, man. Love you, sister. Daughter of warrior. You're the best. Billy's like, he ain't keeping my phone. <laughs> hey, uh, just with the next couple minutes, here's what I want you to do. Uh, I just want you to sit for a moment and ask the Lord to bring a person to mind in a word that you would like to speak over them. Not a sentence, a word. Man, if you were gonna be renamed today, you would be son of, you'd be daughter of. Maybe it's uh, the person you came with, maybe it's the person sitting in your row, maybe it's somebody that you just know is here and you wanna track them down in the lobby, but, but what would the name be? I'm just gonna give you a second or two just to think about that. Just ask God, God, give me a, give me a face and give me a name. Lord, I just pray as we leave this place that we would be uh, bold, that we would be encouragers of one another, that we would speak words 
over one another that we would fan into flame the gifts that you've given each of us. And Lord, I pray that we would live into the name that you give us, that we would truly ask you for, for what you want us to, to be known for and that we would live that out and be true to, to what that is. We ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, we pray for you. Uh, we have a group of people that meet a half hour before the service. First thing I would tell you is that I would love for you to join them in the chapel half hour before the service. Hey, Clyde. If you join them a half hour before the service and pray, uh, one of the things we listen for is what does God want to say to you? We know uh, this morning that we heard there's some people that are struggling with back pain. We would love to pray for you, uh, that there's some breathing issues in the house, and we'd love to pray for that. Someone is... Uh, maybe dealing with Parkinson's or know somebody that's dealing with Parkinson's and we'd love to pray for that as well. And then dementia was mentioned as well. If you have a physical or spiritual ailment, we have an incredibly gifted prayer team that would love to meet with you down here. Now go find somebody and speak a word over them. God bless you.